The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 352. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah. Good morning to you. Good morning. Hey, Noah, I'm going to tell you what's coming up on today's show. It's a big show. Two guys from the Elementary OS Project are going to join us to discuss some of the controversy around funding the project, how they handled some of that feedback, and all of it. They were great to come on, and we asked them some hard questions. That'll come up in the second half of the show. In the news segment, the Ubuntu phones shipped. Well, they sold at least, and they sold damn fast. In fact, we'll tell you how fast and some interesting details about that in the news segment coming up in just a little bit. Some features coming to VLC that will blow your mind. And apparently, Linus is handing out usability awards, and you're not going to believe what distribution won them. And then we'll end the news segment on some really great news about the OpenShop project. But then, Noah, we kind of have a crazy feedback segment, too, don't we? Yes, sir. It's going to be fun. I may or may not have brought a certain device that somebody, a couple hams, may or may not have asked about. Is that a, is that a hardware gadget that of some kind? Some sort of it radio is a device? a hardware gadget of some kind. Okay. I will show you how it works. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. Feedback segment. You so have to wait, though. All right. Well, mm -hmm. first, as is tradition, we got to start with our picks. And Noah, is the uh, Lego movie popular in your house like it is in my house? I actually I took my son to see it the night it came out. Yeah. Yeah, everything mm -hmm. is awesome. And the Lego movie is our Runs Linux pick. That's right. The Lego movie, the people who created it run Linux. This is, this, I had to make this my pick. Not only does it have 35 votes in the Linux Action Show subreddit, but Lucas Zanilla submitted a epic, epic runs Linux post with screen caps, timestamps. I mean, this is so great. And this is such a popular movie in my household. This will undoubtedly get us pulled down from YouTube, even though I believe this is going to be in fair use because we are covering this as it is Linux news. But uh, I'm going to play segments in their behind the scenes documentary. And Noah, we have to watch quick to catch the Linux, because it goes by fast. So get your... Uh, here, I'll, I have um, my Linux searching goggles yeah, on. And I'll make I it full screen. I put my Google Glass into Linux search mode. Okay, good. Here we go. Motion. There's no reason why you should move. Right. Just moved, and you just wrecked it. Uh-huh. You wrecked it! We, yeah. All right, now watch closely. We'll zoom in here. Check out that top an bar. Awesome animation team, and they did an amazing job. You see that right there? You can see the GNOME application menu, places, system. I see what looks like potentially a green SUSE icon, but I'm not sure. I definitely see Firefox in the terminal and multiple desktop windows. Uh, and I think this is and our... More importantly, Chris, I don't see a little apple in the corner, and I don't see a start menu at the lower right-hand <laughs> right. left. Right, exactly. All right, so and I don't think there's... this world that looks like so a Lego neat. set come to life. Here we go, and here's the next Are shot. Are you ready, my son? Yes, I am. I think. The director wanted to really get the idea that... Now, here's another great shot. Uh, you can see, again, uh, they have Thunderbird up there. It looks like maybe G-Edit. Uh, the terminal, again, it's a GNOME 2-style desktop environment. Multiple desktop. Uh, they also have a taskbar along the bottom, and they're modeling uh, the Lego figurines in the software. Characters were holding a brick and putting brick on brick, and we were able on our machines to pull in any Lego brick from the Lego library and add it to our scene, so that gave us a lot of power to, to make stuff up on the fly. What the heck is that? It's a double-decker couch. You are so disappointing. <laughs> I love that movie. So uh, there you go. Uh, and I think, now let me check. I, I marked down there was actually, I had I saw three sightings uh, of Runs Linux. So the, and the, uh, see, the other sighting was, let me make sure I didn't already play it, but I'm going to double check because there was a third spotting in this movie of the Runs Linux. Yourself. 
Come with me if Although, you want to not die. And honest, we don't care how many times they've captured it on a camera. What we really care is the fact that they're actually using it. Yeah, that's very true. And yeah, I, so I'll link it all in the show notes. Uh, you can go check it out. The Lego Movie, the creators of the Lego Movie, most definitely run Linux. A big thank you to Luke, Lucas Zanilla. Uh, who submitted this one. Uh, my kids love that movie. And so I was working on this, um, I don't know, Saturday, just getting all mm -hmm. like the timestamps of the video clip. And my son walked into my room. and He's like, what are you doing, Dad? And I, I had this moment where I had to explain to Dylan that Daddy's working. Can you believe that? <laughs> like, but that's the Lego movie, Dad. <laughs> no, really, Daddy's working. You know, one thing that's always kind of highly disappointing is we find all these places that run Linux, and yet the software is so high-end and so yeah, customized that it's nothing that real I can really play with. Like, you, the software, it, the words of frustration, I have no words to express the amount of frustration that I have, that software exists, that I can make a movie like the Lego movie, and I can do it on Linux, except I can't. No, you can't. Because no. it's not in my repo. <laughs> You know, it might even be like, it's probably custom software at that. Yeah, I'm like, sure it is. Yeah, I'm serious. sure it is. Yeah. Well, sorry, Noah. Sorry. You know what you can do, though? You can go get yourself a what kick arse droplet over at digitalocean.com, and you can use our promo code LASTDIGITAL, that's all one word, LASTDIGITAL, lowercase, to get a $10 credit. Why would you want a DigitalOcean droplet? Well, <laughs> Noah and I could tell you. We got a few of them, but uh, just basically put, DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own cloud server. And the reason why we love that is we can get in there in pretty much under a minute uh, and get a server spun up, and for $5, you're going to get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. The entire infrastructure runs on Linux. It's all KVM. It's all sitting on top of SSD drives, which means you're going to get super solid performance. The density you can get on these SSD drives is like what I used to have to have an entire RAID array hooked up to get. And I love that now. I love that it just totally changes that formula. And they have data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. That gives you some really great options if you want to do some mirroring to back things up. Also, I, I want to suggest that you check out how DigitalOcean's private networking works. Because any data that you transfer over private networking doesn't count against your total. Think about the possibilities there for like a, a front-end accelerator for back-end servers or back-end databases or a back-end uh, backup database. Uh, we've heard of stories of folks that have actually set up like NAS servers in the back-end private networking to be back-end storage and all the transfer of that, all of the backups you could do, all that, it's, it's not charged. It's such a cool system. And then you've got that digital ocean frickin' dashboard. Man, this thing is so intuitive and slick and power users can replicate it on a much larger scale with DigitalOcean straightforward API. Snapshots of your device, you can take a box, make sure this is my, this is my perfect box and I want to be able to just deploy this immediately. You can just redeploy that box. You can transfer it. You can manage DNS. You can do one-click installations of things like Docker and GitLab. And the interface is so crazy simple and fast, it'll blow your mind that this level of technology is being managed by something that is this straightforward yet powerful to use. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code LASTDIGITAL to get a $10 credit. No credit card required. Try out the $5 rig two months for free. It's your own Linux box. Up in the cloud, you get root access. HTML5 console. You don't even have to have Flash to get console level access to the box. You can start SSHing in. It's going to blow your mind how freaking fast it is. And they got a super tight setup too, like your favorite distribution, if it's whatever it is. A lot of times, like with the, like my Ubuntu rigs, they have local repos there at the DigitalOcean data center. So like when you're installing packages, it's crazy fast because it's all over the local LAN of the data center, which means like installing super big packages and doing big updates happens in like seconds. Everything they do is constantly saving me time. It's one of the best systems out there. Digital ocean.com go check them out last digital and a big thanks digital ocean yeah it's uh, it's one of those things that if when you go to use a google 
uh, a Google Talk um, service to oh, yeah. maybe get Jitsi to work, and may that may or may not work. And then all of a sudden, you're sitting on a Sunday afternoon thinking to myself, "My, I wish I had my own server to spin up a uh, an XMPP server on." Right. It uh, it's awful helpful to be able to head over to DigitalOcean.com, click on the five dollar droplet for five bucks, not even five bucks, because they don't charge you unless you actually use the entire month of it. You can do just a um, they charge what by the hour or something. Yeah, like you that? can do hourly too, if even if you don't want the full right. monthly thing too. Which is well, if you're cool. just testing this to, yeah. to see if that's the problem, yep. that's a really great way that that uh, Jupiter Broadcasting may or may not use DigitalOcean on a daily basis. <laughs> Might in an may or may not be using it be right now at this very moment <laughs> as we have this conversation. Uh, okay, so this next app pick, uh, Noah found this. It's super cool. Uh, it's called LMMS. You can find it at LMMS.io. And Noah's hip. He's even made dubstep. And, no, they have a little video here, uh, which will show a little bit of the UI to folks that uh, are not familiar. I have it installed, too. So if you could tell us a little bit about LMMS, and I'll uh, play the right. video and show it while you do it. So who doesn't like uh, who doesn't like Skrillex, right? Who doesn't like Doug's dubstep or electronica? I would wah, imagine wah, wah. that genre of music is extremely popular uh, with this crowd. And the cool thing is, I like uh, anyone else that is involved with music or has music as their passion. When they hear something, they go, "I want to learn how to create that." And so the first thing I did was I started googling what software does Skrillex use, and he used some fruity software on some silver sliver of trash. And I said, "That's not going to work for me. I, of course, need to be able to do this in Linux." And so after just a bit of Googling, I found that in practically every repo, Fedora, Ubuntu, of course, in the Arch AUR, yep. LMMS exists. Yep. And LMMS is a music composition software. I can, I can, I can, I can pull the, uh, I can pull the software up. I can, as you can see on the screen there, he has external interfaces. Yeah, that like a MIDI controller, in. huh? Yeah, well, right, right. And so you can you can control, you can do loops, um, you can do everything. If you just want to get started, the first uh, the first little dubstep thing that I did was write just with my keyboard and mouse on my laptop while I was on a plane, actually. Um, and there's a, there's a YouTube tutorial that shows you exactly how to go through and, and get you started. And uh, it, it, it's I'm not saying that people are going to flock from other software uh, per se to come to this. I'm not saying it's it's the best software in the world, but it's software that certainly does the job. Yeah, and it's available. Yeah. on Linux, yeah. and it's available for absolutely no cost, yeah. so what do you have to lose? And what I'm right? liking is I'm noticing it, under the Linux version, they have full support for um, uh, VST plugins, and so I mm -hmm. have some VST plugins that I've actually spent money on, and so I right. like the fact that I could drop those into LMMS and uh, have at it. So I'm actually, I'm showing it right here, this is uh, version 1.1.1 that I pulled down from the Arch repo. It's a Qt4 app on Linux, so as long as you have Qt support, you're going to be pretty much ready to go. And uh, mm -hmm. the UI is pretty nice, Noah. It, it's very Windows-looking. Maybe I can theme it. I haven't tried yet, but uh, it's 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 very pro. Like I'm pretty impressed. I can't believe... I don't know how I never... I guess because I'm never so much in the song creation side and more in the editing right. side. This is really nice. So you use it yeah. semi regularly, or just from time to time, or what? Uh, I've played. It's it's a hobby. So it's it's and I and I have very I have very limited time to do hobbies to begin with. Um, but but uh, but the 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 thing that I think is neat about LMMS is it is a solution. It is a usable solution if you're a person that wants to do digital music creation on and you want to use Linux. If if those are your requirements, right, right. LMMS. 
it's there. It, it meets the requirements, yeah. and, and it's usable. It, it it's not necessarily the the smoothest or the best, but it's it's definitely usable, and it, it definitely delivers results. And I think that's cool. Yeah, and it also has sound font support. Uh, so, I'm, the, and the reason why these are big deals is uh, this also could play play a little piece in that. Hey, I need to move over to Linux. Can it do these things? And I'm looking at this, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. this looks like a pretty great piece of software for. I mean, the VST support, the sound font support stuff. Uh, yeah, a lot of people have paid for native instruments, and and yes. and so and so LMMS does have support for that so you can pull all those in my dad was in that boat actually yeah oh yeah okay so that is our desktop app pick for this week now we want to spotlight an open source project this isn't one that i have direct hands on i don't think noah has direct hands on but we've gotten it recommended into the show and i've wanted to try it for a long long a long time you probably know about it and if you don't I think it could solve a few problems for you. It's called AutoKey, and it is a desktop automation utility for Linux in the X11 environment. It allows you to manage a collection of scripts and phrases and assign abbreviations and hotkeys to trigger those things. It allows you to execute a script or insert, say, text on demand or whatever in whatever program you're using. Uh, so uh, as an example of how you might use this is you could be composing an email, type in an abbreviation, and that abbreviation could put out your entire signature or your entire address. You don't have to type your address. So as an example, in the past, I have seen people will do things like text expander on the Mac and they'll use like slash ADDR. It'll put in your address. AutoKey does that, but so, so much more stuff at a much, much, much sophisticated level. It has Python scripting that allows you to automate visually, uh, virtually any task. Uh, so you can kick off a Python script from a keyboard command by typing an abbreviation into any window you're using under an X11 environment. It has a built-in code editor with autocomplete, which makes it very handy for guys like me. Uh, scripts are just plain Python, so you can edit them in any text editor. Phrases are also just stored as text files, so you can quickly open them up in Vi or whatever you want and uh, edit your phrase and then save it again. You can create collections of phrases. Regular expressions can be used to filter windows by their title or class. Uh, it's a very cool piece of software, and it was recommend- recommended to you, Noah. Do you remember by who? Remember who sent this uh, in? I, it, wasn't, it wasn't actually. I, well, I'm sure somebody at some oh, point okay. has probably I've sent it I've got a in, couple but, emails, but yeah. Yeah, but when you uh, when you asked uh, when you asked me if I had any suggestions, that was one of the pieces of software that I have that I know uh, is probably not widely used. Everyone everyone likes you know well at least most people that with a brain like Firefox, but Firefox oh, also ouch. doesn't need any extra wow. attention. Is that a, but, yeah, oh, I, oh, I know, oh, I know, oh, I know, okay. I know, but uh, but LMMS is one of those programs that it, it it fills a need, and I don't think it's as well known as as maybe some of the other pieces of software. You mean uh, AutoKey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. AutoKey. Or I'm sorry, AutoKey. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Well, LMMS is pretty uh, cool too, and there's a PPA available there, and it's in, of course, is in pretty much every repo. AutoKey. It's mm-hmm. one of those things that. Uh, yeah, I, I believe once I work it into my workflow, it would make like responding to a lot of emails a lot quicker because a lot of times uh, things that have some common. You know responses like, or like I'll close the same like thanks so much or you know whatever you know, Chris, mm-hmm. uh, and I could just do all that with one couple of abbreviations and then the system just drops that in there for me or the studio's address or or whatever it would be or the mumble server address that I'm pasting all the time or you know uh, X Y Z is live like I tweet that almost every except for this show the same thing every time that could all be mm-hmm. auto key stuff that's just ready to go and then as I got into Python later on I could get even fancier. So uh, we'll have right. links to that in the show notes as well as links to LMMS. And any past picks, desktop picks, spotlights, runs Linux, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash lastpicks, L-A-S picks, and we have them all listed out there. And uh, you can, uh, if it's a new install, you can get loaded up pretty quickly with a bunch of great applications. All right, Noah, with the picks all done, that means it's time for the news.
Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by Ting.com. Ting is mobile that makes sense. My mobile service provider and Noah's mobile service provider. What are you laughing about? What are you laughing about? The way I I'm say laughing that? at the amazing amount of money I've saved with Ting over oh. the past, uh, <laughs> I think, two years that I've had them. I think you're and, laughing and at how I'm I said going that. to be adding another device to my Ting account what? very, very soon. Oh, really? Oh, really? Well, mm-hmm. I've been getting kind of jelly online. Um, I've been getting more and more. I've been seeing more and more people that are rocking their Ting GSM. So Ting's going GSM now, and that makes Ting even better than ever. Uh, is that a GSM device? Oh, this cool. is a GSM device, and it does not have service right now. And why doesn't it have service? Because I couldn't put it on Ting, and I absolutely refuse at this point to go to any other provider. So yeah. I just said it will sit there, and I will not use that function of the phone. No. You know, the yeah. phone yeah. until I can get it on Ting. Yeah. And now yeah. I'm going to be able to put it on Ting. You may, you might have been the one that made it happen. You manifested that reality. Good job, Noah. Here's why. This is why Noah wait this is why Noah waits for Ting to come to him because it's no contract and you only pay for what you use. Each line is a flat $6. So I've got 3 of them. Not because I'm some kind of baller, but because it's $6, right? And I've got the devices. Like I mean, I've been around for a little while. I've picked up a few devices. Why not have some use out of these? Because then I only pay for when I actually use them. If I use a little bit of data, I pay for that little bit of data. I make some calls, I pay for the calls. It's not a big deal and they have a dashboard that helps me keep it all straight. So $6 and no contract. That's incredible. That's how Ting works. Plus, they have no-hold customer service, no-hold customer service. You call them at one ting ftw anytime between 8 a.m. or 8 p.m. on the East Coast, and a real human being answers that phone, and that human being solves your problems. It's, it's some sort of, I don't know, kind of like customer service revolution. You can speak to a real human being. And I think the other thing that I love about Ting is they always have incredible devices. They have hotspots you can pick up, so you get like a $6 hotspot, or you can get some great phones, uh, and uh, now you can bring more phones than ever. And I'm going to go over to Ting. I always like to defer Ting because uh, defer to Ting for their app picks. And this week, this is a good one. This one is super, super clever. I had never heard of this app. Kyra, she's got like an eye. I wonder if Kyra has like a team of people that find these apps. Check this one out. It's Reddit Offline. Want to browse the latest Reddit content without using your mobile data? I'm Kyra and this Ting's app of the week. Go Kyra. Reddit Offline lets you browse all of your favorite subreddits without needing an internet connection. Text posts, comments, images, GIFs, and imager albums can all be downloaded over a Wi-Fi connection for offline use later. You can even schedule the app to automatically save content at a specific time, say just before you leave for work. Tap menu in the top right to set up the app. Reddit Offline lets you search and add specific subreddits along with groups of them. Tap the download all button to save your desired content. Use the clock and schedule times to automatically download your saved subreddits. Green will download over mobile data or Wi-Fi, while blue means only over Wi-Fi. We recommend you choose the blue option and schedule sync times when you're in a Wi-Fi connected area, like home or work, and save your mobile data for more important matters. You can also switch between different themes and change your cache preferences inside the settings menu. Reddit Offline has no ads and is free on Google Play. Pick it up for Android in the description below. If you like this video, subscribe to Ting for more app reviews, Ask an Exec, and more. You know, I was seeing on Google Plus, too, that somebody just got their brand new Firefox OS device. They were in the Ting GSM beta test program, and they now have Firefox OS running on the Ting network. So, Noah, something to consider down the road. You know, one of the things that I think we uh, we overlook sometimes on Ting is, um, so I told you that my wife uh, dropped her phone into a um, water. Yeah. She dropped it into some water, and, and then she uh, then we were able to save the phone, so it, it was it, it did not die. And I left for my trip. I went to Seattle. I came, did recorded a couple ep- episodes of the GNU slash Linux Action Show, uh-huh. and then I got home, and she goes, I have something to admit to you. I said, what's that? And she goes, 
I may or may not have dropped my phone again, and this time I shattered the screen. <gasps> so I went on to Ting.com to order her another phone because then by that point, I had ordered her the uh, the the uh, HTC uh, One, mm. but then I decided I was going to keep it. <laughs> and so then I went back on to Ting to order yet another phone, and uh, I said, well, which phone do you want? Do you like the HTC? No, I don't like the HTC. I said, well, which phone do you like? Well, I don't really know. And she goes, I think I like the, the S3, the, the old phone that you used to have. And I said, well... Uh, they don't sell that one anymore. At least I couldn't find it. Ting has shoppers. Yeah, you can you can tell Ting this is the phone I want and yeah. this is the price I want it for. Yeah. And Ting will go out and find you a phone yep. and ship it to you. Yep. And then they they do some sort of magic so that they get like all of the numbers into their system so that when the phone showed up at my doorstep, all I had to do was log on to my Ting uh, dashboard, which is an amazing dashboard. And I I just click on that device and I click activate and there you go. I had a phone. Nice. That easy. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go to last.ting.com to get started. They give you a $25 discount off your first device. And if you have a Ting-compatible device, and there's more and more of them all the time, well, then they'll give you a $25 service credit. And that actually paid for more than my first month. So go check it out, last.ting.com. Also, that supports the show. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. All right, uh, speaking of phones, uh, Ubuntu had a great week. So last week we said it was coming. Well, it's here, Noah. Ubuntu phones sold out during a flash sale, and they sold out real big. Uh, the BQ guys uh, put it up for sale uh, between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. GMT on February 11th. There were, however, <clears throat> and of course this happened while I was sleeping, so I didn't even notice. Uh, there were, however, some technical issues. Uh, and so there was a little bit of an outage, but despite those technical issues, the uh, BQ Aquarius E 4.5 Ubuntu Edition sold out during its debut run with an expected delivery date of somewhere in March. And you're going to get the case accessory during then as well. To compensate for the technical issues, BQ put out a second yet limited batch of devices at 2 p.m. GMT, and those sold out under 10 minutes. BQ, in a statement, said that they'd received a huge demand this morning, receiving over 12,000 orders per minute, and unfortunately, their servers went down as a result. 12,000 orders per minute, Noah. What do you think of that number? Is that a... Do you buy that number? I think it's a very good sign for... Uh, the launch of Ubuntu Phone. I think that I think that that Ubuntu really needs every little bit of its competitive advantage if it is going to compete in a heavily dominated iOS and Android world. And I think that the fact that those phones are selling like hotcakes, that people are, it does a product doesn't necessarily have to be amazing. It doesn't necessarily have to be flawless. People just have to want to buy it. Apple proved that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, if if they can do that, if they can get a, a following of people that that want to have the Ubuntu phone because they want to see freedom on the phone, they want. Linux on their smartphone, if that's the kind of market we're talking about, and if that is the kind of people that want to buy those phones, then I think they're they're set up for, for some success. And I think that's not, I think that's greatly helped by the fact that people are becoming more and more aware yeah. of privacy concerns. People yeah. don't want the iCloud. People don't want Google's cloud. Right. People want something, uh, you know, that's stored and secure and, and things that support encryption and, yeah. and, and those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. And as it becomes uh, a more of a, um, of a priority to look at open source and to look at at um, security and open source insecurity, yeah. uh, I think that that gives... They're going to be in a good position, and the, and they're right. now they're out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, oh, we have a little real-time follow-up in the chat room. Uh, Blackout24 says that uh, BQ did clarify on Twitter that they had uh, 12,000 store visits per minute. Store visits per minute, not sales per minute. Uh, and that makes a lot of sense, because 
Uh, and Blackout, I noticed uh, uh, in some other threads you've been following this closely, and I, I believe what you were saying there, putting down. I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to. Uh, the device that's going to be debuted at uh, Mobile World Congress 2015 later this month, uh, it's going to be a repurposed MX4 Muez, or have you say it. I'm not exactly sure the pronunciation of it. Uh, it's going to appear along three other devices, each running different operating systems, including they have their own called Flyme OS. Who cares about this? This is a super sweet device, and I'm looking forward to the Ubuntu edition. That'll probably be the one I want to pick up. Uh, but anyways, congrats to uh, BQ. Congrats to Canonical. At least, uh, you know, sounds like no a successful launch. You know, I mean, as far as it Very can much be. so. Yeah, and uh, I got to I gotta give just a real quick plug uh, to um, last week's episode of Linux Unplugged. Popey really gave us a great rundown of the Ubuntu phone launch, the state of the app ecosystem, a lot of the philosophies behind setting up the, the Ubuntu phone. I mean, that episode of Unplugged is we just went into that, just deep-dived into mm -hmm. that topic uh, and you hear it right from the horse's mouth, so it was a it was a great episode. Uh, all right, let's talk about our favorite one of our favorite media players. Although MPV is starting to sort of edge it out, but VLC 3.0 is going to get some serious Linux love. You gotta you gotta respect it. Uh, some prominent features include Wayland support, a Chromecast output module, and some Android improvements. The application will bring support for HVAC hardware decoding. Uh, a brand new BGP decoder, revamped MPEG Dash, uh, which is uh, used for uh, adaptive HTTP streaming for those of you that like to watch live, and a video filter that lets you convert between frame rates. Other features worth mentioning are support for SystemD's journal. Uh, OpenGL is the default uh, video output, which I just recently switched mine to. And BSD operating system support is being uh, improved, as well as dynamic HTTP streaming, dollar video support, uh, Opus MPEGs transport stream, which means we could get some better live Opus streaming support. And some WMV crap in there as well as some Yosemite crap in there. Uh, no idea, though, when 3.0 comes out. Noah, VLC, your favorite media player of all time? Absolutely. Hands down my favorite media player. And you might uh, be jumping ship for MPV, or at least in certain cases. But I am a diehard VLC lover. I, uh, it was recommended to me by a guy, and this is the exact words out of his mouth, and they've held true for seven years now, six years. Uh, this is the media player that I use. It will play every media file you ever have. And so far... I've yet to find a media <laughs> file that VLC couldn't play that I had to have something else for. I mean, it plays everything. So I have, I have never great. had a problem with VLC until I got a high DPI display. And then Chris starts having problems, Noah. I get these really? weird green-white line artifacts in all of my videos. But what I did mm. is I went into the VLC settings and I changed my output module to OpenGL, and I forget the exact wording. Mm -hmm. But there's two different modes, and I did the first OpenGL mode, and once I, I, I did that, I closed VLC and reopened it, high DPI, green line thingies, artifacties, all gone. VLC's working just fine again, so... Did they, uh, did, when you had the green line artifacts, did they eventually disappear as the video nope. played? Nope, 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 hmm. nope, nope. Never went away. I've, and here's the thing, VLC is so under uh, undervalued. People look at it as, as something that simply plays media, but it is so much more powerful than that. I can capture uncompressed raw video right in VLC. Mm. I can stream to RTMP to RTSP through VLC. I mean, the the the, the I mean, it is it's a full fledged yeah. Um, you know, a media piece of software. Yeah. And I think I, I, it's super helpful. And in fact, I think there's a good chance we'll end up using that from some of the conferences to yeah. send you a feed. Because you can, you, can, you can generate an RTSP like server feed from it too, right? Like you can actually broadcast. Exactly. Yeah. I've done exactly. that a yeah. little and bit. I, I was. I actually, we tested it, a, I don't know if you remember, a couple months ago, yep. but I did that. I sent you an RTSP and that was using yep. VLC. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. All right. Well, apparently, uh, just news in just came in. We have uh, it's, this is uh, I guess I should probably have been ready for this, Noah. But this is some breaking news right here on the uh, Linux Action Show. 
Uh, Linus Torvalds has awarded Arch Linux as the most consumer-friendly Linux distribution of all. Uh, he's he's kind of taking, uh, doing nobody favors, no sugarcoating at all. He said, I think Arch Linux is the best choice this year as it respects users' freedom and it keeps repositories free from any proprietary or non-free packages. Arch GNU slash Linux was our first choice because it discourages practices like DRM or TVization. I think the other distribution should follow Arch's principles. If you can't respect freedom, go release your sex tapes, sex tapes or commit suicide. Please leave morbid GNU Linux world alone, added Linus. Uh, when someone from the crowd asked Linus about Ubuntu, Linus chimed up, I think the Ubuntu crowd is a bunch of masturbating monkeys obsessed with the KISS principle, forcing users to use the stupid command line. Uh, Richard Stallman congratulated Arch for their achievement, but also pointed out areas where they think that maybe he thinks Arch could have some improvement. He says Arch's lack of support of DRM and the lack of support for binary blobs are the only areas where I see hurdles for widespread adoption of Linux. We've evaluated the DRM implementation project at the Free Software Foundation to work on this. And also, uh, Gen 2 Linux won the second spot, as uh, as did Crux. Linux grabbed the third spot as most user-friendly distributions of the year. Noah, you agree with these results? Um, <laughs> you know, it's hard to go tell the inventor of Linux that I, I disagree with his uh, with his take on Linux. So I'm 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 going to choose my words carefully. Yeah. But um, no, don't worry. The, don't worry. It's all just a parody. It's not. It's not when, real. When you say don't worry, no, say, don't worry. When you say uh, consumer-friendly. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is if I went and sat 50 people down in front of Arch Linux machines and then <laughs> I sat another 50 people down in front of Ubuntu machines, which would walk out first? Yeah, this is actually one of the reasons I thought we should put this in here is because what it actually is really doing is just playing on biases that we have towards Arch and hmm. Gentoo and things like that. Because um, it really is acknowledging that we all think these are really hard distributions that really no new user could use. And that's what it's really mm -hmm. playing on. And that's why it's kind of a funny piece. Um, I think, my personal opinion, though I could be totally wrong, I think by the end of 2015, pieces like this will seem quaint uh, because distributions like Antigross will dominate. But that's just what I think. I happen to think it's a great distribution, unless you have UEFI. Then it's not so great. <laughs> but it was a very funny piece, and uh, uh, I, I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce your name. Uh, I'll just call Mr. SB. He writes a lot of good stuff, and he was, he was curious if people liked the uh, humor piece. Uh, because they, you know, it's fun. It's fun to have a little uh, insider uh, Linux comedy uh, from time to time in there. All right, Noah, uh, are you much of an OpenShot user? Have you followed the developments with OpenShot 2.0 and sort of the slowing I, down? I that? have a little. I'm, I am, I am what you might call a wishful thinking OpenShot uh, user in, in that I, to get my actual work done, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a diehard fan of Lightworks, but. Where Lightworks falls short is they're not truly open source. If you go to their website, they tell you they're open source, and maybe somewhere they have the source code published, but everything about their project does not feel open source to me, and it certainly doesn't feel like uh, as open as, for example, Firefox or Thunderbird. And so that's where I'm, I really think OpenShot has the potential to become one of the best, if not the best, nonlinear editors on Linux yep. and potentially yep. one of the best nonlinear editors, yep. period. Because yeah, now they're making it here's another reason why I'm super excited about OpenShot. And it's it's a real, you know, it's it's anybody's guess where it's going to go. I mean, I, I wish the best of luck to Jonathan. Uh, it, uh, the other reason why I think it's really super important, and you and I talk about this all the time, is one of the best ways you can move new users over to Linux is by giving them a set of programs that prepares them ahead of time. So Firefox, mm -hmm. LibreOffice. Pigeon, Thunderbird, and now OpenShot could be a critical piece of that for the production side of things. So I, I'm picturing um, 
maybe this is because I'm biased, obviously, but you know, take shops like Twit, right? Twit uh, has like you know what five, six, seven editors. Uh, they got them all on PCs using Adobe Premiere running Microsoft Windows. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, they could keep buying Windows and Premiere and Adobe and all that stuff because they're a business. They will have to pay for Windows. It won't be free for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. uh, yes, they could do that. Which and by the way, if you have a few Windows machines, then that generally means you're probably going to want an Active Directory infrastructure. Probably means you're going to have internal DNS. That probably means you're going to have an IIS server too here and there. Uh, you know, there's a lot that comes with all of that. So if, if you I have an IIS server, then you're going to have to pay somebody 24 hours a day to restart it. Right. And so if I was mm-hmm. like the uh, chief technical officer for Twit LLC and uh, Leo mm-hmm. came to me and said, all right, well, uh, Mr. Fisher, now uh, we're ready to reinvest. Uh, what do you think we should do? If I could have over time been moving those editors over to OpenShot, when it came time mm-hmm. to buy new rigs, it would be a slam dunk to deploy something like Ubuntu LTS or Ubuntu Mate Edition or something like that. Uh, and exactly. that's why I'm super excited about OpenShot, not just because I want to be able to edit all of our stuff under Linux, but because I think it could be that critical piece that moves that production end over. So we were a little disappointed when we hadn't heard anything from Jonathan for quite a while, the creator of OpenShot. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, on his birthday later la- earlier this week, he made an update on there. He, sh- he showed us the new branding, the new icon. It looks very good. He gave us some updates about lib OpenShot. Talked about moving OpenShot over to uh, uh, Python Qt5, uh, which is in work. Uh, he says it's about 75% complete right now. And then he addressed the challenges about being MIA. And uh, full disclosure, I reached out to Jonathan and asked him to come on the show, but he's in the process of moving, and so he's not busy. He wasn't able to make it on the show today. So instead, what I'll do is I will read uh, his conclusion here. He says, there are many challenges that go along with building any software. Well, they ended up having to move. They put their house on the market to see what would happen. Within one week, it's sold, and all of a sudden they needed to find a new house, make repairs, pack, rent, and get a moving truck. Needless to say, this required a lot of time and energy, but on top of all of that, Jonathan says his development computer died. All the data was backed up, but of course he had to reset up the operating system, all the tools, and uh, things like that. So he says, what's coming next now that we've got this? I've got my development computer rebuilt, uh, and now of course, since there's been some time, I've realized that the audio API methods I had been using no longer existed in FFmpeg. So then I spent a couple of weeks fixing all of these issues, bringing LibOpenShot compatible with the latest versions of FFmpeg, CMake, and ImageMagic. My primary goal now is going to be releasing the source of the P- uh, Python Qt5 application on Launchpad. Like I mentioned above, I probably have a couple of weeks of loose ends to tie up before we'll be ready to publish. So there's more coming. No, are you feeling better about this? You're still having some concerns. Uh, no, I am. I, and here, it, well, and here's the thing. I have yet to see anything that tells me that there's a reason OpenShot wouldn't continue to move forward. It's not people. It, it seems like it's been very well received, e- even when they went over to the what's that operating system that's made by the uh, company that uh, has the old guy with the gray hair and then next he, uh, Microsoft. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he, oh, uh, they, oh they brought it over to windows. Yeah. And, 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 uh, as they continue to move to those other platforms, like you said, it's, it's a necessary evil. It's a necessary first step to get people familiar with those tools so that when you rip the, uh, the operating system out, really the only thing they notice is that the icons, rather than being on the desktop are now on a launcher bar. <laughs> and other than that, everything seems to work the same. Yeah. My only question, and that's why I was kind of hoping Jonathan would have come on the show is, um, does he have a smartphone? I mean, during this time, I mean, I, I mean, I know he's busy and he's got family and all that, but like a singular tweet saying, "Hey guys, we're moving. I'll have an update soon." During all of this, yeah, would have I, saved. I understand. I, I'll be honest with you, Chris. I understand that. From you know, I, I get to a point where when I'm in the middle of something, especially especially when it has something to do with family or or home stuff, yeah. I could care less. I yeah. could care less what clients think. I could care less what. Yeah, it ah, just doesn't true. matter to me. I'm going to concentrate on on getting whatever I need to get done, and we'll deal with all the rest of that later. And maybe that's what he's. Maybe that's the stage. 
Luigi's and death. That's fair. And I think the only reason why it even became as dramatic as it was is because people are paranoid that they're going to get screwed by a Kickstarter. Everybody's worried about they put their money in a Kickstarter, it tips, and then nothing ever happens. So there's just a lot mm-hmm. of paranoia around that. Well, and let's give them let's give them this too. Let's say let's just say on the on the on the outside chance that there is something that was a little bit of a hang up or something happened. Like for example, his development computer uh, died. Yeah. Maybe that is the best thing. Just keep your mouth shut and and work out the problems, and then come to people when the problems are resolved True. and say, "Hey, yeah. listen, this was the problem, and now we have a solution, and yep. here's how we're going to move forward." Yeah, like and that. that's an acceptable way, I think, to proceed. Yep. Very okay, good. All right, Noah. That's all the news for this week. about to talk with two guys from the elementary OS project, Dan and Cassidy, and I think you're going to want to really hear what they have to say, especially after all the things that have gone down this week in the news around elementary OS. So we're going to hear it straight from them. But first, before we get to that, I want to thank our segment sponsor. Oh, yeah, System76, creators of machines designed and born to run Ubuntu. Now, the thing that uh, I love about System76 from a production standpoint, you know, from my personal experience... When I put something in that has to run all of the time, you know, I'm going to get here, I'm going to get in the morning, I do a daily show called Tech Talk Today, I have the show on Sundays, I don't want to fight with stuff on Sundays, it's a Sunday, right? So I don't want to have to worry about fiddling with things, that's why I go with System76. If we put it in production at Jupiter Broadcasting, if it's running Linux, it uses System76. It's not even a question, that's just a variable that we don't want to have to worry about. We want the peace of mind of knowing that the rig that we have installed is going to run flawlessly. It's going to handle that update just fine when that new kernel lands. It's not going to break our sound card. It's not going to break our video capture device. All of this. In fact, the calls we make today, powered by System76 hardware. The machine I am displaying this very graphic on right now, System76 hardware. Go over to System76.com. Get a machine designed to run Linux and see why that makes the difference. Not only is it the support, but it's from fundamentally from when you get the machine through the lifetime of that install, they're going to support you. System76.com. Tell them the Linux Action Show sent you. Get yourself something nice and stop fighting with your hardware and play with your Linux. All right, well, I am kind of super excited. We got uh, not just one, but two guests from the Elementary OS project on here. And... It has been a very big week for the Elementary OS project, so uh, let's start with Daniel. Dan, welcome to the show, and uh, could you introduce us to our guests and tell us what you do for the project and all of that jazz? Hey, how's it going? Uh, My name is Daniel Foray, and I'm one of the founders and uh, lead user experience designer for Elementary. Well, welcome to the show, and thank you for coming on. And uh, we also have Cassidy with us. Cassidy, welcome to the show, and tell us what you do for the project. Hey, how's it going? I'm Cassidy. Uh, I... I'm a UX designer, and I help manage things behind the scenes, like all the operations, um, and also do some community management. Well, great. Guys, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, also, just to start, before we get into the big topic of the week, this is really one of the bigger topics where it started. Uh, the new latest beta of Freya, am I saying that right? Beta 2 is yeah. out. Congratulations, you guys. Anything you want to touch on that's super cool about the new release? Uh, well, uh, you know, one of the big things that happens is uh, we have updated to um, a much newer stack, so we're looking at a lot of driver updates. Uh, we're up to the latest uh, GTK 3.14. Um, we've updated to uh, a newer version of Vala, you know, just a lot of under-the-hood updates. But uh, also you'll see, you know, a, a big refresh in the user interface. Uh, we've GTK 3.14 brings us a lot of stuff, so we've got you know new uh, header bars and, and much better uh, drop shadow and box shadow and, and really exciting stuff like that. Yeah, I, uh, I was playing with it uh, last night just to check it out before the show, and it is 
really, really slick. Uh, it is a, it's a pretty, it is a pretty smooth experience, and uh, I think that's one of the reasons why the project gets so much attention. Uh, and this week, uh, there was a lot of attention around funding the project. Uh, there was a blog post that generated some controversy. Um, there was some language in the blog post that definitely generated some controversy. And, and I wanted to start there. So I want to open it up to Noah here for a second because I know I know you have a range of questions in this area. But uh, do you have a, could you give a quick synopsis, Noah, of what happened this week around the blog post and sort of the dust up that resulted? Sure. So the way I understand it was you guys um, released a blog post uh, explaining um, why you went to change the slider. Um, when you go to download elementary OS, it's now required that you enter in a zero for the amount that you'd like to donate before you can actually purchase it. And in the in with some uh, critical feedback, you guys decided to uh, release a blog post explaining um, why you chose to make that decision. Do I have that correct? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, and what happened was a lot of people were, I guess, a little upset by, by the language of that post. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, there was some, I, I'm the one who wrote the blog post originally, and it, okay. there was some strong language there, and, and it did a, uh, it did upset some people. Now, uh, okay. before we go too far, I mean, really, so what it, what essentially was is uh, there was, it was expressed that if a high percentage of the users, like a large percentage of the users are downloading and choosing zero, and let's say it's mm -hmm. in the range of 98% or more, it, as, a, as a content creator, uh, is it correct, Cassidy, that when you wrote that, you started to feel like people weren't appreciating the value of your work and it, 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 cheating was the word that was used but it was almost like being robbed is that is that was that the sentiment at the time um not exactly it was really it's important to remember this was not us saying oh we're not getting enough money from this you should give us more money it was just simply an explanation of uh, why we're making you put zero dollars in and I said uh, you know if you're if you're putting zero dollars, we want you to realize that you're essentially cheating the system, and that was the the strong language people didn't like. And mm -hmm, we've since right. revised it to say it's an active choice right. um, that you're putting what, zero dollars in. So I guess my first question is, how does how is somebody so essentially here the message that I got was we're giving this away for free because on your website it says you know 100% free this is free you know and and then to say that if if we don't give money then then you're cheating the system I feel like. Don't you think that, you know, that that's not really square to say we're going to give this to you for free, but if you don't pay us, then you're cheating, then you're a cheater. <laughs> or, I mean, I'm just I'm asking. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, do you think that? Um, I mean, obviously you guys change your mind, right? Because you you went and, and changed the post, um, uh, which I guess was one of my other questions was how did that timeline work out exactly of of when when the post was made and then what factors led you to change it and then when did it change? Um, I'm trying to think of the exact timeline. It's Dan. When when did we we posted it? We wrote it uh, like at, it early in the week, and then it actually was automatically scheduled to go out halfway through the week. And then I think just okay. the next day we we revised some of that language. Okay. Um, and I think it's important to we're, we're not calling users cheaters. They're not they're not cheating us out of our money. Or they're not cheating us. Um, the sentiment I wanted to express was that they're. Essentially, we would love for open source software developers to get paid for their work, whether that's us right. or Inkscape or GIMP. Right. And you know, by, by not paying um, for any of those things, it's essentially cheating the whole open source uh, ecosystem. 
Sure. So um, this the the blog post changed at, right at, uh, essentially a couple hours after you were you guys came into the mumble room. Is that roughly correct? Yeah, we had a good chat with uh, some people in the mumble room. Dan. And then then shortly after that, I think is when the blog post changed. Do I have that right? Okay. Right. So uh, you know, more or less, um, you know, I woke up that morning. My my phone was buzzing, just going, going, <laughs> sure. going. Oh boy. I bet. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you know, I woke up and I and I saw the post on on Reddit, which I think has like over a thousand upvotes right now, right? So people were like really paying attention to this post. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, you know, people were really focusing in on on these these little two segments, you know, of and and not really looking at the the whole post overall. So we came into the bubble room. Um, you know, we had a chat with these guys and and kind of narrowed it down to, hey, you know, this is what people find offensive about that post. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went in and um, went through the post and did my best to to edit out anything that was offensive and to um, try to explain a little bit more and embellish more the spirit of the post. And so, uh, I mean, I, can we just for a second, uh, but if, can we zoom out here? If, if users do not fund the development of the operating system, they are essentially cheating the future development of that system. I understand the language is strong, but sometimes people have to be told in a strong way that that thing you value, that thing that you use, that is taking real money and effort, and if you don't contribute towards it, it could go away. And sometimes, mm-hmm. it, I mean, I, cheating isn't, I agree, the right word to use, and it was, probably was a good call to remove it. But at the same time, I, I kind of feel like it's sort of become the elementary OS's project, uh, project's burden to, to remind people that really well-built software has to be paid for, even if it is free sure. as in speech. And I understand the language couldn't have worked, but at the same time, I don't. I don't know. I, I think. I think. I feel like it's been a little over prosecuted in a way. Like I, the way I look at the. I, I understand that it, they shouldn't use the word cheating, but what else can it, what else can an open source project do that is essentially getting to the point where the the people who are involved in the project are about to burn out because they are working multiple jobs, the, the project itself and full time jobs, and they need to be able to fund at least one or two developers full time on this thing. And if they can't do it, the project isn't sustainable. What what op, what recourses are left? I could understand that's well, very frustrating. Well, so Chris, let me uh, let me see if I can be the voice of the of what I understand the community to, to be, and then maybe Cassidy and and Daniel can get back to us. Um, so nobody has a problem paying for open source software, right? So and even even proprietary software that works on Linux, things like Steam or Red Hat, those things I don't think people have a problem with profit. I think where the confusion came in was visiting the elementary OS website, you get the impression that the software is being given away for free, that it's offered for free, you can download it for free, and in fact, you can download it for free, but it just seems like a little bit of sleight of hand that I have to enter a zero, which wouldn't, I mean, there is no other site in the world that I can think of where zero is an acceptable value uh, I can't go to to PayPal or or anything else and and change the value of you know if you have a default by ten, um, there's no other place I can go change that to zero and let the transaction go through. So I, I, I guess that it's what I think though is clarity. I would I would punt this to uh, to uh, Cassidy or Daniel whoever wants to take it. But I I, I think to myself uh, it seems like this probably maybe just isn't the right approach now. Or are you guys still thinking this is the right approach but change the messaging? What what's your thoughts now after this blowback? I think it's first important to remember that our beta.elementary.io website is a beta website. It's uh, currently being developed for our next release. Right. It's 
it's essentially uh, an ongoing active project. And our current website, elementary.io, uh, is where you see, you know, we talk about it. it's 100% free, it's free to download, no licensing costs. And, and that's all technically still true, but I do agree there's a disconnect in the language between our current website and our new beta website. And that's something we're working on. And there's, there's open bug reports to fix that messaging and to add a uh, marketing message to the beta website. Hmm. Okay, good. Right. So we're, we're talking about two kind of different um, experiences, right? Two different flows. And on the site where um, we do have that marketing messaging, hey, 100% free, uh, in which we talk about both uh, in terms of speech and in beer, um, on that website, there is a link that says download Luna for free. So for our new website, um, you know, because the, the massive problem we're looking at is by, and we think this is a result of having that free link. You know, uh, it's 99.825%. It's, like, a lot. Like, almost everybody downloads for free. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're looking at uh, the information from the, the new beta website and not having that link on there. You know, we're still getting a lot of downloads. I mean, mm-hmm. let me check the, the stats real quick. It's uh, almost 18,000 downloads since the 9th. Um, and the majority of them are still free downloads. But now we're up to, like, 1%. Mm. Mm-hmm. Awareness has been raised. Uh, and so, uh, no, I, I had a couple more questions, but did you have any more in that line before we move? Well, I, I just, I guess I just wanted to ask, has awareness been raised or do you think that users are simply just deceived into not understanding that they can, that they have to enter zero to download? Do you think that they're just putting in, you know, a dollar or whatever because they don't think that they have another choice? No, I totally don't think that's the thing. Okay. Um, if, if that were the case, I think we would see, you know, maybe only 10% of users downloading for free or some smaller. But because, like, 99% of users are still downloading for free, mm-hmm. I think people understand they're they're clever enough. They know, um, you know, if someone wants to get something for free, they can. But I think, uh, I think the new design shows a little bit more clearly that there are choices. And uh, I think the new design also shows more clearly uh, how much we value the work we do. Right. Whereas in, in the old design, you know, the most common download was the 10, was our suggested price. Yeah. Now that we have three suggested price, um, you know, 10 still the most common. But we have fives and we have ones and a couple 25s and even a couple 50s. Like people are, you know, by seeing our suggestion, people are like, okay, wow, I understand. Okay. Uh, how, how much of that money is going, if you don't mind me asking, how much of that money is going back upstream to the uh, to the projects that you've based elementary off of, like, for instance, Debian or Ubuntu? Uh, I don't have an exact number for you um, because it's, you know, it, it's broken up between, you know, ex- like straight monetary donations and, and things like mm-hmm. bounties. But uh, I believe currently we have like $3,500 in bounties that we've paid out to uh, upstream projects. The, the bounty pay system, some of that goes upstream? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, we, can, we can attach bounties to any open source project out there, whether it's on GitHub or Launchpad, and we've done that. Um, we've also contributed through um, patches to Ubuntu and GTK and GStreamer and EDS and LibUnity and Vala, um, actually contributing code and working directly with those developers to improve their products, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is another huge, huge contribution. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you guys, um, do you guys, uh, do you guys, you know, one of the things I noticed was I was reading a, a post about uh, Granite, and it was talking about, um, it was talking about, I think the quote was, I would warn that cross-platform is the path to the dark side. So going a- along the line of, you know, incorporating other projects or supporting other projects, um, is there a belief, is, do you guys have, 
anything, um, you know, pro or con towards the idea of keeping people on elementary OS once they've installed it. And by cross-platform, you mean cross-Linux distribution platform, like between like moving an application from Ubuntu or, or whatever to elementary, that kind of cross-platform. Right. So, you know, we, we've kind of had this thing for a while, right, where we have the mythical Linux application that's just supposed to run on anything based on Linux. Hmm. And uh, when we're talking about uh, user experience, we have to realize that uh, desktop environments have diverged, and they're getting pretty specialized. Uh, when you develop a, a new app for Ubuntu, uh, the expectations are a lot different than when you develop an app for GNOME or when you even develop an app for elementary. So when we're talking about uh, third-party developers developing their user flows, that um, a specific user flow should be targeted at, as, at a specific platform. And I think Transmission understands how to, how to do a real cross-platform app, where you have a back-end that works on multiple platforms, but front-ends are built specifically for each one. And, you know, that's... That's, in my opinion, the best way to build a user experience. When you try to build a cross-platform user experience, you're going to end up hurting your users. Right. And and there is. I mean, even as simple as a basic installer, it's something we talk about all the time. It just doesn't exist. I guess my last question on this, you know, you know, train uh, is simply, do you think that there is, is a is a longevity in in essentially guilting users to to pay for something? Uh, if if that's not their their first inclination, if their inclination wasn't to give a donation anyway, do you think that making it ever so slightly more difficult and then um, and then you know essentially, I think it's a fair the the idea is fair that uh, well, that people and, should pay for the software that they're going to use. I want to add but, I want to add my question because it's it's very along the same line of yours question. Noah is mm -hmm. it's sort of the, the guilting factor, but the other thing I'm worried about, guys, and I'm curious to see your answer about this is. Is there a longevity in sort of the quote-unquote guilt? And I, I think you could make the argument maybe you're not, but I think you could make the argument it is guilt in users. And then the second part to that question I would add is, doesn't it also constantly put you in the position of whack-a-mole for people direct linking to ISOs or torrents being distributed widely on the web that just totally bypass your download page altogether? Aren't these two big problems? Um, the second problem I don't think is a problem. <laughs> okay. Uh, People can download it for free from our website, so that's we're giving it away for free. You know, people can get it for free very easily from us. It's just like Humble uh, Indie Bundle, where they do completely DRM-free. You can pay one penny and get those games. Um, you have to pay a dollar to get it from Steam, but you can pay one penny and get those games. Um, people are going to get them if they want to get them. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have to go play whack-a-mole and try to take down sites and stuff. That's that's not an issue. Um, so you do so you do support if people want to publish. Um, torrent links or something like that to the download, you would support that? I mean, I would recommend everybody link to our homepage because that way oh. we can inform users what they're downloading, how to best install it. If we update the version, you know, if we find yeah. a critical bug, we can patch that ISO. Um, sure. You'll always get the latest version straight so it's from kind our of the, the preferred stance would be please link to the download page, that way they see everything, not directly right. to the file. Right. Yeah. But you don't have anything actively against somebody uh, publishing you know, a torrent file? No, we're not going to seek down and try and, you know, uh, take it down or anything. Sure. Okay, and to the longevity aspect of the page, do you, do you think there's a possibility that people might start interpreting that as guilt in users, or do you see it differently? Um, I don't know if guilt is the right word. I think raising awareness that uh, for the open source ecosystem to continue to exist, we should be more active about uh, compensating the developers. Right. And that's... Yeah, you know, we talked about in that blog post. We talked about uh, large 
closed source manufacturer large closed source developers you know revert to uh, paying or charging manufacturers to put their software on their hardware they resort to uh, using ads and targeting ads to the users and we don't want to do that that's yeah. not that's not the road we want to go down and that's not the road we want to see the entire open source ecosystem go down sure yeah and I actually uh, I, I think if we look back at things over time uh, I, I maybe I think it might have been a Dan that said it, but uh, it does also display that you value the work, and I think that is going. I, I, maybe I'm maybe I'm attributing too much to this, but I think that's really important messaging to put out there uh, in this area, in this community, and I. I think being very direct about it is sometimes kind of necessary. So uh, I think, honestly, you guys make a good product. And if you think that's the way it, it should be represented, I can't disagree with that. And, and to be honest, uh, when the next version comes out and I go download it, I'll probably pay because I think it's worth something. Um, you know, and the, th the thing is, Chris, if you look at, you know, if, if we think back 10 years, right, and when when some of us were in high school, some of us were in college, and we wanted something like Microsoft Office or, or Adobe Photoshop, right? Yeah. And we would go out to the <laughs> Internet. And we may or may not we may or may not have torrented something. We may or may not have used a little activator key. And then and then in, after all this struggle to use that product. Yeah. Then, uh, then those companies, had they found out about it, they wouldn't say, well, gee, thank you so much for spending three hours of your day to find a way to, to use our product because we appreciate your patronage. No, no, no. They would have been more than happy to throw yeah. us in jail. Yeah. And, and, then, and then when we get to a project like Elementary OS that has a really awesome UI that, you know, that, it, that, that they're trying to design an OS holistically, we complain about having to type a zero. Yeah. Well, into the don donation page. So I, I, it's not that I totally yeah. don't understand where you guys are coming from. I appreciate yeah. the project. I appreciate where, the stance that you guys are taking. I just kind of question the wording and yeah. then maybe changing the post silently. I, I don't know if that's something you want to directly address, but why not have gone in there and said, listen, we, we, we read the post, we listened to the feedback, and I guess we decided to make a couple changes rather than silently changing it. There's kind of this idea of <laughs> once you're painted as the uh, the evil person on Reddit, nobody's mm. going to listen to what you actually have to say. Mm. Right. Um, and we oh, talk that over a lot. It's yeah. it's once people have decided to hate you, yeah. they're going to hate you. They're not going to listen to any reasoning. And so, the, the other thing I, I uh, the other thing I noticed from the Reddit threads is, and I've seen this happen with my own community, is people come to you and they will say, "All right, well, you want funding? Open the books. Why don't you open the books?" And the concept for people. For people who do not sit in the in the in the in the crosshairs of daily criticism, the concept of of uh, to opening the I mean, my God, I, I would spend all day long answering questions, going through. I mean, it it is so asinine what people ask for, and they feel entitled, and they build you up as this as this secretive evil group because well, they won't open up the books to the public. Oh, they want money, and it. But I, at the same time, at the same time, it's like. That wording kind of initially set the tone of that conversation, and and then the, the approach of changing that blog post. I think going back and looking at the way that would handled, would there be anything differently done today? I think um, you know if I had to, if I could go back and start over and start the conversation a different way, I'd talk about it more in terms of uh, the economics that um, is kind of implicit in in making a sustainable open source uh, world, mm. right? And the way that uh, the way that I see it, the vision that I kind of see is that it's very kind of Marxist, where um, you know we open source doesn't need everyone to pay. It, it just doesn't. Um, 
you know, us personally, we we only need about 10% of people to pay the suggested price. And that would sustain everybody that works on the project at a fair wage, right? So we're not saying that, um, you know, we expect everyone to, to pay. Uh, only that those that can probably should, and it would build better products for them. Mm -hmm. It would make mm -hmm. a better open source ecosystem for them. Mm -hmm. They would be contributing back to themselves, essentially. Uh, did, you know, help us help you kind of thing. Now, uh, along that line of thoughts, a lot of comments have come into the show. A lot of people have asked, has elementary OS, and I'm sure you guys have, so I'm just going to ask you, have you considered things like uh, Patreon? I just saw the Ubuntu Mate edition distribution went up on Patreon. They're getting some funding there. Uh, there's other things like, uh, I know Bounty Source is a system you use now, of course, Kickstarter for big things. But some sort of payment system like Patreon where people can commit to a monthly or based on releases. Any thoughts on that kind of stuff? Uh, I'm not sure if we have a Patreon account now. Cassidy would probably know more about that. Um, but uh, we are looking into uh, building subscriptions uh, directly into our, our payments dialogue. I believe uh, Stripe offers an API mm, for yeah. uh, subscriptions, so we're looking at that. But uh, Bounty Source uh, is actually letting us beta test their subscription model. I believe oh. we're still the only project that um, is allowed to do that right now. So you can go to Bounty Source and go to our page, and, and up on the little header there, there's a thing that says subscription. So. Very cool. I did not know that. Well, that's a neat. Hopefully, they'll move that out too. And so that would that would be nice because that would just integrate right exist with the existing system that you guys are using today. Uh, right. The, the bounty source thing. Can you guys touch on that real quick? How does Elementary OS use bounty source to raise funds for the project? And is that also a way that if I'm a big fan of and I'm I don't download it that often, maybe is that a more reoccurring way I could contribute? Yeah, absolutely. That's bounty source is a system that lets um, us or anybody else attach uh, monetary bounties to issues and feature requests in software. So it ties in with bug tracking software like Launchpad or GitHub, and uh, the elementary project can officially say, we think this is worth 100 we can think this is worth $500. Um, and then users can also say, yes, this bug affects me. I think I would pay five bucks to, to get this bug fixed. Um, and it's a way we can kind of come together and- Assign a dollar amount to a bug. That. Right. That's yeah. really cool. But, so, yeah, I would use that for sure. Developers who are within the elementary uh, community or developers who are from the outside of the elementary community can come in, see those bounties, and uh, get paid for their work on open source software, which is awesome. Yeah. Very good. Uh, Noah, any other questions before we wrap up with the guys? Uh, I guess the, the only last one I had was, uh, and again, if this is something that you don't want to go into, by all means, just say we don't want to go into it, but do, do you care to address the, the, the idea or the issues related to the fact that you guys are an LLC for profit, um, and oh, at yeah. the same time, mm -hmm. um, we are basically framing this conversation on the idea that um, this is an, an open source uh, community and, and donation funded thing? Yeah, so, uh, you know, basically uh, what's going on with, with that whole thing is uh, we had a lot of discussions with uh, Yorba, who are based out in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they were trying to get um, their 501c3, their nonprofit status, for a long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, were basically denied uh, by the IRS, and, and they wrote this big blog, blog, uh, blog post about it. And the, the stance of the federal government is that open source software in and of itself um, is not... Uh, a, a charitable act. It doesn't qualify as making the world a better place. Right. We covered we that on the show here. With. Yeah, we right. did too. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, through talking to different people, it was a thing where 
you know, it's not it's not worth trying to direct all the time and money into becoming a nonprofit to get rejected because we don't we don't have anything to add to that. You know, we're in the same boat as Yorba. How how do we convince the IRS that what we're doing is making the world a better place? Um, mm -hmm. So we decided to become an LLC. You know, we need to have a, a legal entity, and that seems to be the the best way to go. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, my my only my I guess my parting words are let's just keep in mind. Um, you know, Microsoft and Apple are now basically giving their operating systems out for free, and so um, you know, it, it's kind of ironic. Now, now Linux is going from uh, being one that has traditionally been downloaded for downloaded for free, and now we're trying to rein the rein that uh, rein that dog in just a little bit, and and try and get users to contribute a little bit more. And it, it's kind of ironic, right? You know, the the thing I have to to point out about that, right, is that. Um, just because the the platform itself is free doesn't mean that it is free, right? Mm -hmm. Like Cassidy said, we're talking about you know advertisements and data mining. It's like Facebook. Right. You know, people think Facebook's free, right? But it's not. You know, you're mm -hmm. you're selling all of your information to advertisers. It's because you're it's not paying money. no dollar cost to you, right? Right. Yeah. Right. But it's <laughs> it's total invasion of your privacy and your liberties, right? Yeah. And, you know, that was something that. Um, I thought was important to, if you look at, you know, the latest version of the little blog post on the bottom, uh, I wrote, you know, the intention here is we don't want to trade in our liberties uh, for a free dollar cost. Right. No. Yeah, that, I think that that's totally sense. fair. Yeah, and honestly, uh, I think Linux distributions uh, for a certain class of users are going to become more and more valuable as those commercial platforms become more monetized like that. And so it might make sense down the road that you are paying for Linux because you want to pay to not have to have those things put upon you. So, yeah, I think maybe it won't seem so weird too long. Guys, uh, seriously, thank you for coming on the show and talking about all this stuff. I appreciate you uh, answering the hard questions that I know a lot of people out in the community have had. Uh, both Noah and I are big fans of any project out there that has a crap ton of passion about what they're doing, serious a serious vision for what they do. And, um, and the best part about all of it is you guys actually ship. Uh, the new beta is out. All of this stuff actually results, all of this passion, it actually results in stuff people can go get their hands on right now and try out. And on that on top of everything else, I respect the hell out of as well. So thanks for coming on the show and keep up the great work. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. But Noah, before we get out of here, we got some great feedback to follow up on. Our first one came in from... Uh, hold on, not Justin, from Ross. And he says, uh, Linux desktop success. Uh, hey, guys, I'm a longtime listener of Last Linux Unplugged, TechSnap, and Coda Radio. Most recently, I just picked up Tech Talk Today, Unfiltered, Women's Tech Radio, and BSD Now. Yeah, buddy, way to go. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Uh, he says, now, uh, unfortunately, I have only been online for a couple of live shows because of time zone difficulties because he's in Australia. Well, that's totally understandable. Uh, I just wanted to share a success story for the Linux desktop at work. Last was a big contributor in making me make this jump full time. I'm an engineer working as a sysadmin and developer helping me move our organization towards a DevOps culture, migrating infrastructure from, from our data center up to AWS. A part of this is the remote workstations for our data team who perform many large jobs like data cleansing, things like that. No windows here. We opted for Ubuntu 14.04, X2Go, and Mate for Trusty, all, all, all automated and provisioned thanks to Packer, Ansible, and Jenkins. Needless to say, everyone is very happy with the performance and flexibility that this solution offers. Big shout out to Wimpy and the Ubuntu Mate developer group for this fantastic release that works flawlessly with X2Go. Awesome work. Man, we've heard from a lot of folks that do this. Lastly, thanks, and keep up the excellent work and the great content, Ross. 
Uh, he says, I hear this all the time on the BSD Now show, so I'm just going to try to say the opposite. You shouldn't use BSD Now. Or you shouldn't use BSD. You should use Linux instead. You want to know, you want to know secret, Chris? What? That alone, I, it was That's one of the ones <laughs> that I, I had opened. It, it was one of the emails that I had opened that was like, well, maybe this one. And then when I read that last line, I'm like, uh, yep, that's it. That's good the show. <laughs> yep. I know exactly what you mean. All right. Justin writes, in Drunk on Wine, I'm wondering about it possibly getting someone on to advise or, as was very briefly discussed, possibly open up the question of tips advice on Tech Talk Today as to how to further my career. Uh, I deploy Linux boxes that are so drunk on wine that Microsoft would accept it as a genuine in small town in eastern India. I target small to medium businesses and lowball my prices to get in past the bigger tech guys in my area. I'm no new user to Linux, the CLI, or more risque operations such as server management, but I'm also not an expert. I want to learn more, but I'm not sure the best avenue to do so. The first time that uh, Noah was on last, it caught my interest that he found a niche and filled it and ran with it. I'm doing the same with a different amount of success, albeit measured and differently. Since then, I have really wanted to get into contact with him. Thanks in advance, Justin. Well, what do you think, Noah? So, uh, so for starters, um, you can always email me, Noah at JupiterBroadcasting.com. Of course, I'm on Twitter, at Kernel Linux, and uh, on the proprietary Facebook garbage, uh, <laughs> Facebook.com slash Kernel Linux. Um, but as far as actual advice, my advice is... Um, if you're going to seek, uh, if you're going to seek, if you just want training, of course, head over to Linux Academy, right? Those, that's, that's a place that they're going to allow you to, uh, you know, go onto their website and they'll custom tailor the curriculum right to what it is you're looking for. They have a, a variety of topics and quite honestly, having taken actual IT classes and having done Linux Academy, I can tell you that firsthand, I think Linux Academy does just as good of a job, if not slightly better. In the past with Red Hat 5, with Red Hat 6, I went back and did a, uh, a refresher training. So you go for a week and then they spit out all the new things that are new between Red Hat 5 and Red Hat 6. When 7 came out, I actually did the exact same training, except I did it through Linux Academy. And it was fantastic. So if you just want to learn the material, that would be my suggestion to you. If you want to, uh, if you're if you're looking to take one step further, you want to go for certification. If, if it's something you're looking to get involved into um, system administrator st stuff like that, then I would look at either Cisco certification or Red Hat certification. Cisco, Honestly, the certification means almost nothing. Um, anyone can pass the test if you can if you can do math in your head. Um, but at the same time, everywhere, a lot of places look for that Cisco certification, and a lot of places will exclude you if you don't have it. Mm -hmm. Red Hat, on the other hand, uh, the certification really means something. Somebody comes to you and says that I'm a Red Hat system uh, system administrator. If I'm certified, that means something because Red Hat gives you a box, and the box has uh, the box is a functioning box. They give you 28 things they want you to do to the box. You can't bring in outside material, and you can't use the the internet. But if you can get those 28 things done, and they're all taken from real life examples that system administrators things that they would, would uh, need to do real life examples except for you don't have google like that's the one thing that's weird about those well so okay so in their defense in their defense there are places i've never worked at one but there are places that don't have internet on on their servers there are servers that yeah, are not sure, connected sure, to yeah, the yeah. internet yeah, and there, yeah. it is it is it is i have been to places in fact i was at a place last week where they don't allow you to bring your computer into the data center. You can you can access it outside in a room they have set up for you. Um, and that particular place, they did have a computer. I could get to the internet inside of the server room, but I wasn't allowed to bring my laptop in. And I could foresee a circumstance of where uh, they wouldn't let me bring my laptop in. And also, the server wasn't yeah. on the internet. It's yeah. not out of the question. Could be a zombie apocalypse. Huh? Could be the zombie apocalypse. I think it's a little extreme, but if you're working yeah. in a place that has high, uh, high uh, data, sensitive, uh, data security sensitivity, 
I can see it being yeah, a possibility. Seems fair. But uh, the reality is, uh, I think it's one of the better. Uh, they give you a real box. It's not. It's not virtualized. It's not emulated. It's a real box, and I think it's it's a much better representation of actual skills than. Uh, any other test that I've taken, any other certification I have. Yeah. So that'd be my suggestion. Very good. All right. Did you want to read uh, the next email from Alex there? Sure. This comes in from Alex KG5BCX. It says, Noah, as a fellow ham, I'm curious about the GSM cell phone slash dual band handy talkie that you have. That sounds like it would be a very handy device. Well, actually, Alex, it is a very handy device, and I have it here. This is the Runbo. This one is the X1. They make a smartphone version of it. That runs Android. So I, I opted not to get the smartphone version because essentially what I wanted to do is we have a Ooh. VHF repeater that we use for UltaSpeed. And um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I have to carry a radio with me then to, to access that plus my oh. cell phone for oh, work. Yeah. And sure. so that got to be a little bit of a pain. So I thought it'd be cool if I could have one in both. So this, so is, a this, ham, me, this is a ham radio and a cell phone in, in one thing? It's, what it is, is it's actually, a, it's actually a business band radio. So it covers everything from 130 megahertz to 160. So I can screw on my little VHF antenna here. Um, and I, uh, and yes, yeah, certainly you could use it. Um, for, it'll, the ham band falls right in the middle there. But I can um, open up the, I don't know if you can, I suppose you can't see what's on Screen's the screen. Screen's a little blown out, but I can but see you've got can like a little LCD it, screen you can work from there. Yeah, but what I'll do is I'll open up the, um, I'll open up the radio application. That is so and, cool. And what I can do. Do you have any idea is, what the battery life is on something that has like that many radios in it? I'll tell you this, it gets me all day, so yeah. that's kind of, I mean, Maybe I that's go, a perk I, of it. that's a perk of it not being a smartphone, probably, is that you get a little extra right, battery life. Right, right. So I open up the, I open up the push, uh, the push to talk application, and I, I simply just turn it on, and I'll save that, and now, now, now the little blue light comes, let's see if I can get that to light up. I see it. Oh, now yeah, the yeah. little blue light comes on, yeah. little LED and there. I can, if I key up, burp, 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 burp. almost. I guess I have to save and then go back up. Okay. And I feel now, like something really cool is about to happen, though. Something very cool is about to happen. Are you are you about to become yep. like? Are you about to radio broadcast your side of the last show? I right am. Now? Yeah. Ooh. So yeah. and uh, I, and if, for for the for my ham radio friends, you can act. You'll hear. You can hear the squelch tail in there from the repeater kicking back to me. But that is um, that. Uh, that's that's essentially how it works, and it, it, they. I think they make them in 440 and uh, hmm. and and VHF. So I have the VHF version. It works very well. It's 500 milliwatts output. So it's not, you know, you're not going to get a huge range out of it, but yeah. it'll certainly work around the city. Yeah. And the antenna they give you actually is it. It actually it gets out fairly well. Hmm. So. Um, yeah, battery life is great. It has a micro USB charger, which is kind of cool because yeah. all of the Yezus have their own little stupid barrel plug that I always have to carry yeah. with me. So that I can charge that is right nice. on the micro USB charger. Same thing I use on my cell phone. You already have it in mm -hmm. your car. And now I can activate it on Ting. Uh, you, uh, will you put a link to that in the feedback section of the show notes? So uh, if you have a... Sure. All right, sure. I will read... I would love to put a link. I will read this next one. It came in from Philip. He wanted to make sure uh, that we caught... This caught our attention. He says, Noah, the Reddit pics attached. So that way you have them all at once. He says, welcome to the shows uh, from Sydney. And for those of you who haven't seen them yet, we'll have a link in the show notes. Sometimes from time to time, the community likes to welcome in uh, uh, hosts. And uh, Noah has had the proper Photoshop job. I started with my favorite from uh, the, the Hobbit. There's Noah uh, wearing Google Glass in The Hobbit. Uh, very well done there. I thought that was a particularly good one. Uh, there's known as Soren uh, being, uh, being um, molested by one of the Duras sisters in Star Trek Generations. Very good there. Of course, uh, there's Noah up on stage as uh, Psy from Gondam Style. Uh, that's also 
Looking good, Noah, with the Google Glass everywhere you go. Here's Noah. That as, was my favorite one, by as the way. As a seven of nine. My personal favorite one here is Noah as seven of nine. Again, rocking the Google Glass. Here's Noah as species 8472. And, of course, Noah as one of the Dura sisters. And then last but not least, Noah as Darth Vader. You can find all those pictures if you're listening in the show notes. Those are great. Thank you, everybody who sent those in. Noah, you've been officially welcomed into the Linux Action Show family. With and I, uh, I personally thank everyone that contributed to making those. They, <laughs> my wife and I sat up at night. She, I, I found some. It, it, I, I, I've been looking at the at the uh, at the Reddit, and uh, and of course I, I kind of keep an eye in the chat room and stuff. And somebody had made a comment and said, unfortunately, I don't think Noel will see this because he doesn't seem to be real active on Reddit. Well, I, I did see him, and uh, and <laughs> I, I, my wife and I were watching the thread as people were posting him, and like every ten minutes she'd be like, check it again, check it again, see if there's something there. So I'd go and refresh the refresh the key and it would come back up and then we'd laugh and then wait a couple more minutes so uh it, it was it was very much appreciated yeah it's really fun and there were some really good ones too and they got a lot of different angles and i really like the seven of nine one because they gave you blonde hair even like that was a fully mm-hmm, complete mm-hmm. job there so I, the star trek angle of course that's always uh, it's always close to my heart all right well uh you might have heard our guests mention the mumble room a few times yeah that's linux unplugged we have an open mumble room we call it our virtual lug and you can come discuss the topics of the week in the linux unplugged show with our virtual lug in that mumble room crazy how that works the mumble room is also open for my daily tech show that i do tuesdays through fridays at 9 a.m pacific noon eastern go over to jblive.tv to join that and join us live on sundays at 10 a.m pacific all of these pacific times right oh it's so confusing jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar boom we got them all answered there right there boom we just do it for you also you can send us your feedback over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact choose the linux action show from the drop down and send in your emails and last but not least one of the most important ways to interact with the show when we're not live when we're not doing our thing linuxactionshow.reddit.com submit stories app picks runs linux Anything like that. Feedback. We have a feedback thread for every single episode. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. Make this show a better show right there. And we really appreciate it. And last but not least, I'll also plug our Patreon. You can help fund this show and our new How to Linux show by going over to patreon.com slash today. Any amount you can afford, we appreciate it. And we give out lots of good uh, benefits to our patrons like right there. No, what is that there? Is that my face on your, on your well, coffee mug? Well, here, here's the thing. The, uh, you noticed that the, uh, the Google was not working correctly when we first got here. And all that had yeah. to happen was yeah. I just had to take a sip out. out of my Tech Talk Today coffee mug. Yeah. And all of a sudden, audio just... Just it came right back. That's true. That's how it works. And in, in that was magic. like I said, like I said before, that was a unexpected yep. present that just showed up at my doorstep, all because I'm a Patreon. Yep. Patreon.com slash today. You can become part of the swag club or just get access to all our behind the scenes stuff that we post up there from time to time. That's funds the Linux Action Show, but also all of the shows on the network and new adventures we take on, like how to Linux. So we appreciate that. Okay, Noah, well I think that just about wraps up this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. We'll see you right back here next week. All right, mm-hmm. so I'm going to do a quick, I'm going to just do a real quick XPS 13 update, just so everybody knows how it's going. Uh, mm-hmm. This is not in the show. Maybe we'll put this in the outtakes, though. So this, I got the Dell XPS 13, the new one, uh, the one that runs Windows, because I wanted to get my hands on it kind of soon so I could start to formulate an opinion. Uh, just a quick couple of things out of the box. It does ship with Windows. That lasted for literally about three minutes, and then I just decided to wipe the whole thing. 
Uh, I put it back into bio simulation mode, I think, just to make my life easier. The edge-to-edge -edge screen is phenomenal. It's one of the best screens I've ever seen. The keyboard's okay. It's a little mush. I sometimes lose track where I'm at when I start going real fast, but it works for me. Trackpad is mostly good, has some issues under Linux. Wireless, I didn't get the developer edition, the developer edition that ships with Ubuntu. I got the XPS 13, whatever it is edition. Wireless didn't work out of the box. I actually ordered for like 15 bucks a Intel uh, 7000 series wireless adapter. And I installed that. That solved the wireless issues for me. Sleep and suspend seem to be working just fine. Uh, keyboard LED lighting all seems to work. All the function keys seem to work just fine. Uh, external display works just fine. The Intel graphics seems to be pretty impressive. I've actually been able to play Borderlands, the pre-sequel, on it. Uh, amazingly so. It's the new. It's the latest generation Intel Iris. Um, uh, 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 graphics, so that's kind of been remarkable that I've been able to play some amazing games. There are some downsides, though, to that screen resolution. That screen that's super, super pretty, uh, guess what? Everything has kind of a hard time struggling with stuff that's that big. Uh, Chrome looks like an absolute clown show, so does Firefox. The title, title bars are tiny, even if you double it up. And then I have to run all my web pages in 200 <coughs> zoom. Well, a lot of web pages like Google Plus and Google Docs don't work very well in zoom mode, so that's constantly a struggle. Uh, and sometimes the browser has to work a lot harder because it's zooming everything up to 200. Additionally, because of a, a limitation in X11 right now, uh, my 30-inch display that I have hooked up via uh, DisplayPort to the laptop, uh, it also is running in high DPI mode, even though it's not a high DPI monitor. So effectively, the resolution of that monitor is dramatically reduced. Because it's a 30-inch monitor, it's still big enough that I can use it, so I do use it just fine, and I just put the applications on there, and I only can fit a couple of windows instead of, like, 30 windows. But you know what? It's okay because I don't have to go do a whole bunch of commands and try to make that work. So the, the high DPI stuff is definitely hit and miss. Uh, I find myself preferring everything GTK as possible. Uh, if it's not GTK, uh, it generally doesn't look very good. If it's QT, you have a good chance, but still doesn't look quite as good. And then if it's something that's like a custom toolkit or something like that, it's tiny. It's almost totally unusable. So like Haroopad, that's had to go out the door. I can't even use it at all unless I put it on the huge monitor. But then it's this giant Haroopad window on my 30-inch screen. That doesn't work very well either. Uh, another thing that kind of happens quite a lot, because that resolution is so high that when you play full screen video, you're essentially zooming it up to a 4K resolution, which means that the video card gets hot. So whenever I watch full screen video, my fans kick up all the time now. Uh, otherwise, the fan noise is pretty minimal. It's not so bad. It runs pretty stable. I run it all the time. Um, yeah, that's sort of my initial impression so far. I'm going to put all this into a final review and do it in the show. But that's if you're thinking about the XPS 13, if you'll have to replace the wireless, um, you'll have trackpad issues from time to time, potentially. I mostly use a mouse, so I can't speak uh, very, very well to that. The keyboard's usable. It's not ideal. Weight is incredible. Size is incredible. Uh, performance is pretty damn good. I have the i7 version. Um, clumsy trackpad. Uh, webcam is awkward. Uh, webcam is down in the lower screen. Battery life. Battery life. Battery life. Battery life. Uh, I think I'm getting about eight hours of battery life uh, under Linux. They say 15 hours. But even the Verge says under Windows, it gets less than that. So there you go. That is the super condensed version of my XPS update right there. Bam. There you go. Hey, let's do, let's do my favorite thing. Are you ready? Okay. Uh, uh, turn your mouth towards me. Okay. Turn your mouth towards No, no. Other way. Other way. Other way? Other way. Okay. Now let me know if this hurts. Just tell me, tell me to stop when it hurts. Okay. You ready? All right. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, that feels good, doesn't it? Yeah, you take that, Noah. You take that. Oh, yeah, you take it, Noah. You that tickles. That's good, though. I like doing that every now and then. Don't me from the inside. <laughs> Boy, those people listening to the audio stream have no idea what just happened. <laughs>